All right, we've got a special treat today, and that is that Steph Fetter, who's right here, who has been our pastoral intern for over two years, is preaching. Let's give her a round Woo! of applause. Yeah. I like it. I yeah. like it. So, yes, two Stephanies for the price of one. So, um, Steph has been, I, I've known her for many, many years, like 10 years, I think, over 10 years. But in these last two, over two years, she's been investing in our church in ways that a lot of you probably haven't seen. A lot of times it's been in very thankless ways, serving in lots of things, but also helping to run the service at times, being a part of our teaching team, and maybe most importantly, taking some leadership over the few junior high and senior high students that we have, although that is about to be growing. And Steph has been leading our ministry, The Mill. So we're super grateful for that. Yep, shout out to you guys. There they are. And we're so grateful for the ways that you've invested. This is also the day after Steph's graduation from seminary with her Master of Divinity. So let's give her a round of applause for that. And anybody who's going, what's a Master of Divinity? It's a Master of the Divine. You've now mastered the Divine. the Divine. Yes, yes. Congratulations. Yeah. I don't know if you knew that was possible. Someone thinks it is and gave that title <laughs> to this degree. Um, and uh, we're just excited to celebrate. You didn't have any big classes this year, so it's not like, I, or this semester. So it's yeah, not like I'm like, over. oh, now you have to preach like a day after you finish your finals. Right. So just clarification, but this is your last final. Surprise. No, just kidding. Um, and uh, I think a natural question for a lot of folks here is like, well, what's going to be next? We're really celebrating the end in a lot of ways of your internship. And so um, she's going to talk about that a little bit in the sermon. So can we give Steph one more round of applause and appreciation? Awesome, awesome. Um, so yeah, here I am, day after graduation, and as Steph said, what's next? I've chatted with a couple of you who've said the same thing, and I wish I had a really awesome answer for you, and I don't, but I have a story. Uh, I like telling stories, and you might find some humor to this. Maybe you find um, a little bit of your own resonance with the season of life I'm finding myself in. Um, not only did I graduate with my degree, I also and am not sure what's next. I also will be losing my job in a month. I learned a couple months ago that the nonprofit I've helped build from the ground up over the last three years, a lot has transpired. Our board of directors has decided, you know what? It's time to tie a nice, beautiful bow, put this on the shelf, and move on. So at the end of June, I will be jobless. I will not have classes to go to anymore as an excuse as to why I don't have a job. <laughs> I'll be transitioning out of my role that I've held here for the last two years. And even though I plan to still be a part of our community, that's going to look different. On top of the fact, and my roommate is right here, dead center, I asked her if I could say this, we've come to the time of the year where we have to decide, are we going to sign our lease again? All right, let's see. Well. Neither of us got married this year. We don't own a house yet, so maybe we can work out a little like 50-year deal and get like a cheaper, you know, month-to-month -month rent. <laughs> it's hard. There are days where it feels absolutely debilitating not knowing what is next. And when I let myself sit in the what-ifs, and what, what if that, and what if this, and if I make this decision, and this connects to this decision, like where do I even begin? And I'm gonna bet, wager, I know a lot of your stories, you feel that too, regardless of where you're at. Maybe some of you just graduated from your undergrad, or from your master's degree program, and you're asking some very similar questions as I am. Maybe some of you have also lost a job recently, or you see it on the forefront. 
Or maybe you're in a job and it's fine, but it's starting to become kind of toxic, but you're so afraid to look for what's next that you stay where you're at, right, for fear of changing things up. Well, I guess this is good enough. Some of you are walking really hard roads. Some of you are going to be empty nesters soon, and you're not really sure who you might be without your kids around or what your relationship with your spouse is going to look like. These times of transition are really hard. And in our sermon series, if you're new with us um, or you haven't been back in a while, we've been in this sermon series called You Are Here. And it's all about Jesus meeting us in our ordinary chaotic lives, right? And, and in this season of uncertainty, he meets us. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about what we do and what does it look like for us to worship a God who's with us in our uncertainty, knowing that he's going to give us everything that we need. And so um, this is how this is going to go. I'm going to start us in the Gospel of Luke, and then we are going to take a hip, skip, and a jump back to the Old Testament, and we're going to talk about Exodus. And I promise it's going to make sense, and then we're going to come back to Luke and end. Sound good? You don't really have a choice, so here we are. <laughs> Let me pray for us. We'll get started. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you so much for the blessing that we have to gather today, to hear your word, to worship you, to be among brothers and sisters as we maybe walk out our own areas of uncertainty or fear. And maybe, Lord, some of us have just come out of those seasons. May you build us up and give us truth to speak into the lives of people who are currently in the muck and the mire and don't know what's next and don't know where to turn. Lord, prepare our hearts and our minds today for whatever it is that you have for us to hear. May the words that come out of my mouth and enter the ears of the people sitting in front of me, Lord, that they be your words, that your Holy Spirit transform them to whatever it is you have for everyone here today, including myself. In your holy and precious name, Jesus, amen. All right, so if you have a Bible with you today, uh, you can open up to Luke chapter 11. If you don't, no worries, I've got you covered. We're going to have the scripture on the screen behind me. We're going to start in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And says, One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He, so Jesus, said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. <clears throat> and if you've been around the church for a while or grew up and maybe have dabbled back in, you might be pretty familiar with this, right? This is um, a prayer that we find not only in the Gospel of Luke, but also the Gospel of Matthew. And it's called the Lord's Prayer. And it's something that Christians have recited for thousands of years. And I don't know about you, but when I look at this and I read it, I can get so lost in these words, right? They feel really archaic to me. I mean, who says hallowed anymore, right? Like, I just got my MDiv, and I had to look that up in the dictionary just to make sure I knew exactly what it was talking about. And side note, it means holy and revered, so I'm going to take that two cents back with you tonight. Um, 
But there's a lot to unpack in this passage, way more than we have time to really dip in today. But what I want us to pay special attention to is Jesus' response to the disciple who asks him how to pray. Okay? Prayer wasn't a new thing, you guys. People had been praying for thousands of years even before this moment. And um, most specifically, the Bible talks about two groups of people a lot. It talks about the Pharisees and the pagans. Right? The Pharisees being the really religious group of people and the pagans being maybe religious but not worshiping the God of Israel. They're worshiping gods and goddesses of their different cultures or geographical locations, etc. And back then, um, prayer for a lot of those people looked like mantras that they would repeat over and over again in order to win that god or goddess's favor. Right? If they just said their god's name the right way or pronounced it in the, the perfect syllable, in the perfect amount of times, then maybe God, that God, would see them and hear their prayer and give them what they needed. You also have the Pharisees who were in charge of the law and really, you know, thought they were kind of a big deal. And Jesus calls them out multiple times in the gospel for many things, but one of them being their prayers, being sort of these haughty addresses of, look at all the fancy words I can throw out here and impress these people in the synagogue. And so, um, in this moment, Jesus, I think, is nodding to both of these camps as he's answering this disciple's question of, how do we pray? And I want us to pause for a second and ponder something before we continue. You know when someone asks a question, but they're actually maybe asking a different question, right? And I, as I was reading and reflecting on this particular passage of this disciple asking Jesus, teach us to pray. How do we pray? I wonder, what is the real question that that disciple is maybe pondering in his heart? Because I don't know about you, but if it was me and I was with Jesus, and man, like this guy's legit. If I ask him how to pray, I'm going to know the right way to seal the deal right? Like, I'm going to know the correct verbiage and the right amount of frequency. And I, the scripture doesn't tell us this, but I wonder if Jesus's response gives us any sort of clue as to the fact that he maybe knew what was going on in that disciple's heart. Able to share absolutely anything in that moment with his disciples, Jesus chooses to use this moment to remind the disciples of what is true by teaching them a very simple prayer that placed God back at the center of their lives. And so here's what I want to propose to you. The Lord's Prayer, at its root, is the gospel, right? Like, it's an affirmation of who God is, who we are not, and our need for him every single day. I'm going to say that again. The Lord's Prayer, at its root, is an affirmation of who God is, who we are not, and our need for him every single day. It is the gospel wrapped up in four short sentences. <clears throat> On top of this, the phrase, give us our daily bread, would have specifically stood out to this Jewish audience of, that Jesus is speaking to, well aware of their ancestors' Exodus story, the 40 years of wandering the desert, receiving manna, bread from heaven every single day. So I want you, as we transport ourselves to the Old Testament, to hold on to this idea of our daily bread. Think of the daily bread, daily provision, okay? So the book 
of Exodus. A little recap for those of you who might be a little rusty. It's very fascinating. Um, it ultimately is the story of God's deliverance of his people from bondage. Egypt literally means bondage. And the people of God were slaves in Egypt for 430 years. And so in the book of, the book of Exodus tells us how he delivers them with this promise of, I have a place for you. I have freedom waiting for you. Come with me. And so this is the story where we have the plagues and God does all this crazy stuff and eventually the Pharaoh is like, okay, get out of here. And he encourages all of his people to give the Israelites literally like their clothes and their money because he wants them up and out of his country. Okay? And so Exodus 12 tells us that in total, 600,000 men, not including women and children, came up out of Egypt and coalesced as the people of God and started moving towards, out of Egypt, towards the desert. That's a lot of people. I don't know if you guys have ever been on like a guided tour in like one of those coach buses, but think of like 30,000 coach buses of people not knowing where they're maybe going and it probably smells a little bit and you've got a whole host of different personalities all caravanning at the same time. And not only that, but they're led by this dude named Moses that they might or may not know, and his brother Aaron and his sister Miriam. Exodus 13 tells us, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. My dad is here today. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think my mom and brother would agree that my dad was famous for his shortcuts growing up <laughs> when we would have somewhere to be. And I was thinking about that at this passage of there was a shorter way and God had sort of his own shortcut or his reason um, that maybe didn't end up being that much shorter. <laughs> um, for God said, so back to Exodus 13, so there was a shorter way. And it says, for God said, if they face war, my people, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. If they go the shorter way, they might turn around and go back, even though they're going to be slaves again. Because the way forward looks too hard. And knowing that, knowing the needs of his people, the hearts of his people, the thoughts of his people, the Lord with the long game in mind chose for them to lead them, provide for them along a longer route. On top of that, it says, by day, the Lord went out ahead of them as a pillar of cloud to guide their way, and by night, a pillar of fire to give them light. And at no time did it leave, but it stayed in front of the people. Back then, there were established trade routes through what we now know as the Arabian Peninsula, right? That area between um, Africa and the Middle East. And so um, anyone who had ever traveled would have known that there were those shorter ways. And I just wonder if they would have been thinking, why are we going this way? We could be there so much quicker if we took the other route. And yet God, again, knew what they needed. But mind you, the people of Israel did not know that, right? Like, we're privy to this information because we have the story, and we can see it in retrospect. But in the moment, just think about the fact that, yeah, like, we're being delivered from slavery. Let's go, and let's get in our coach buses, and 
oh, like, where are we going? And we're supposed to follow this, like, supernatural cloud that's going to tell us where to go? It's kind of crazy. And as you can imagine, after a series of days, I mean, how would you guys feel? I don't have kids, but I've ridden in the car with a lot of your kids. <laughs> like, can you just imagine, like, I'm hungry. Are we there yet? I'm thirsty. Johnny keeps poking me. Like, just imagine 600, over 2 million people, you know, bouncing back and forth, trying to figure this out, following this cloud. They're, not, they're following this dude they don't really know. And they're supposed to trust. And we read in Exodus 16, it says, the people begin to grumble against the Lord. They're hungry. They're tired. They're feeling a little bit lost. They don't know why they're going on the long road instead of the short road. They're annoyed with the person in the seat next to them, right? Like, they want out of there. And then scripture tells us, it tells us that in response to their grumbling, the Lord says, I will rain down from heaven for you bread. Go out each day and gather for that day. <clears throat> each day. Enough for the day. If you're familiar at all with this story, you're going to know that that wasn't always what the people of God did, and they learned their lesson. But I think God's reasoning behind this is that he wanted his people's yokes to be easy and light. He didn't want them entangled with the worries of the days ahead, and he included, that included packing the physical food and carrying it along. If you've ever been camping, you know that camping's actually a ton of work right? Like you have to basically pack up your house and put it in the woods for one night and then bring it back. It doesn't really make that much sense, but we do it anyway. <laughs> God wanted his people's loads to be light so they could, hear this, so they could each day follow him without hesitation. Do we do this? Where in our lives are we carrying so much or attempting to collect just in case, right? Like the opposite of Marie Kondo. Like, how much can I, how much can I get just in case? I might need that someday. <laughs> I do that. Could it be that God whispers to us to go out each day and gather enough for today? Trusting day after day that you're going to see I'm going to provide for you. You don't have to do it for yourself. We read in Deuteronomy a couple books later, that this whole trip, this whole extravaganza with the 30,000 coach buses, right? It took, it was supposed to take 11 days. 11 days. Who knows how long it actually took them? Much longer, right? 40 years. 40 years instead of 11 days. And some of that was because of their own disobedience. Some of that because God wanted to refine them. He wanted his people to be ready for the land he had promised them, for real freedom. There's so much we can dig into, but... Ultimately, we find in the book of Numbers, which is the worst title ever for a book, um, the Hebrew is actually desert, which makes a lot of sense because the book of Numbers is all about this journey of the Israelites through the desert, 40 years. And so we're going to look at um, a little excerpt of what that journey may have, may have looked like. So we're going to look at Numbers 9, and I'm going to read verses 15 through 23. You can follow along on the screen behind me. It says, 
On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law, was set up, the cloud covered it. Remember that God said my presence, I'll be a cloud, a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order. It did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle. For, I'm, I'm like getting all twisty tied with this word. Over the tab tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed blah, blah, blah. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp, and then at his command, they would set out. You're getting the theme here, right? It moves, they move. It stays, they stay. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning. And when it lifted in the morning, they set out. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped. And at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. <clears throat> Okay, so putting ourselves in their shoes, you're with this group of people, you're following this supernatural cloud, and your entire life is dictated on whether or not this cloud moved or not. And some days it's for just an evening. You go to bed and you wake up and you realize that the cloud has moved and you have to pack all your stuff again and get it back in the caravan and find wherever the cloud has gone. And sometimes you were there for a year, maybe more. And maybe you didn't really like that campsite all that much, but you're there, and you're there, and you wake up every day hoping that cloud has moved, and it hasn't. <clears throat> in the end, so the book, end of the book of Numbers, in chapter 33, um, Moses tells us that the Israelites camped 42 times over the course of 40 years. So, okay, on average, what, one campsite a year, but we know that that wasn't always the case, and they were there maybe a lot longer than a year, or a lot shorter. 42 times they set up camp, and 42 times they cleaned up camp. 42 times they got up and found the cloud had moved, and, or the pillar of fire was lifting, not knowing where it would lead them next, but commanded to go anyway and to follow. That's 14,600 days of saying, yes, Lord, I trust you. I will go, or I will stay. That's 14,600 bedtimes, not knowing if the cloud would be in camp the next morning. I mean, in the midst of traveling like this, feeling like you're lost and wandering, how much strength does it take to get up every day or go to sleep only to find that the cloud has lifted or it hasn't yet? Imagine that. Imagine your life circumstance right now in this moment or in a moment where you felt similar to maybe how I'm feeling in this uncertainty of what is next. <clears throat> what stood out to me most, or what has stood out to me most in this season of wilderness is that I have a desperate need for Jesus, for God's presence in my life every day. <clears throat> to not look too far ahead, to not let my mind get into all the what ifs and trying to 
you know, create my plans on if I decide this and I apply to this job and I get this and I sign a lease here and I do this and I talk to this person and I network with this person, then maybe it all just, here's my plan and I'm good to go. And guys, I just have days where I am an anxious puddle where I can't even, the thought of making any other decision, any decision feels like I just don't want to do anything. I don't want to make any decisions at all. But what I've found in reading and reflecting on this passage is that when I look to Jesus, when I look to what he has for me today and only today, what are you, God, what are you asking me for today? Not, next, not tomorrow, not next week, not in three years, but today. I find that I'm filled with a peace that I can't describe and that people who I have connected with who have been asking me, how's your life, they don't get it either. They're like, wow, that's God. It's God's presence. <clears throat> scripture doesn't tell us how the cloud moved, right? It just tells us that when it moved, the Israelites moved, and when it didn't move, they didn't move. And I've been thinking a lot about this, and could it be that some morning they woke up and the cloud wasn't just hovering and, like, moving at this tiny pace, but, like, had already gone off in just amount of, like, enough distance where you could get to it by the end of the day, but you, as your community, had to figure out how you were going to get there. It feels so, so, so relevant to my life right now, and maybe yours as well. <clears throat> where is the cloud of God's presence in your life today? Where are you, and what do you need? Going back to where we started in the Gospel of Luke, we see that after Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he tells them a story, which he is always really good at. So if you'd flip back with me to Luke chapter 11. We're going to pick up in verse 5. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my kids are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship with him, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The disciples asked Jesus, how they are to pray. And here, Jesus follows up the prayer with a nod towards their attitude. For Jesus, it's less about the words and more about the heart. Do we trust that our good, good Father is going to give us something good? Do we, do we have big enough faith to keep asking when we don't get what we want right away? Or to maybe surrender what we want for what God actually wants for us? Or do we just give up? Here, Jesus reminds us that God is actively waiting 
to provide for our daily needs. And all that is required of us is to ask daily for them from him. It is our persistence of and dependence on the Father that matters. And it is the attitude of persistence and dependence that unlocks our ability to receive with open hands our daily bread, which Jesus tells us right in this passage is him. It's his Holy Spirit, his presence in our lives. That same powerful, holy presence is what provided and protected the Israelites as they traveled through their own wilderness of the desert in order to be delivered from their bondage into freedom. The Lord's Prayer then reminds us of our connection to these exiled people, the Israelites, a people in daily need of a Savior. Through their dependence on Yahweh, the people of Israel followed God through famine, thirst, war. Because they were behind his lead and not in front, he protected them and provided everything they needed in the timing that they needed it. We read in Exodus 13 that the only time the cloud left in front of them was to protect them from the Egyptian army behind them. It says in the scripture, we read that the angel of God, the pillar of cloud, withdrew and stood behind them, keeping the Egyptian army away from the Israelites until the appointed time. And if you know the story, you know that God parted the sea and the Israelites were able to escape. But not until the time. God in his goodness protects his people as he prepares our way forward. In the midst of your ordinary chaos, wherever you find yourself today, what would it look like to wake up and peek outside your own tent and look for God's presence and go after it? Is it possible that the cloud has moved and you're being called and commanded to find it and follow it? Has it settled and you're being commanded to stay? Maybe you don't really want to, but waiting until it moves is probably your best option. And when you cannot see ahead, could it be that God's presence is behind you, protecting you until the appointed time that he has already in place? Despite where we are today in each of our lives, we can rest assured that God is not far away and he gives us everything that we need today. Today is our focus. This morning, you might not be at a place where you're able to receive that or believe that, with me. And I just want to name that that is okay. <laughs> the beauty of worshiping God in a community like we are today is that when we are struggling, we have brothers and sisters all around us who can lift our arms and tell us, it's going to be okay and I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to believe on your behalf. I'm going to intercede. We're going to walk this road together. <clears throat> and so in that spirit, and before we enter into our time of communion, I thought it would be really amazing if we said the Lord's Prayer together as a community. And so, if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And if you're comfortable, I encourage you to hold the person's hand next to you. And what I love about the Lord's Prayer is that Regardless of the way we grew up or the traditions of church we're used to, the Lord's Prayer unites us in reminding us that God 
is who God is, and we are not God, and he is going to provide for our daily needs if we ask him, and that we have each other to do this with each other, because we can't do it alone. And so, all the words are on the screen. Read with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We can stay standing. When Jesus was in the upper room, he broke bread and offered it to his disciples, saying, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. And as we enter into this time of communion this morning, may we know and remember that Jesus promises us his daily presence in our lives. And that's all we need. In just a second, as the band plays their last two songs, you're going to be invited into this time of communion. Here at Mill City, we practice this every week. <clears throat> there are going to be communion servers on each side. You can come down these center rows, peel off. When you get to the servers, you can pick up a gluten-free cracker and dip it into the cup of grape juice. And then we'll also have members from our prayer team alongside the walls who would love to pray with you. If you're in this kind of season of uncertainty, name that. Ask for help. And if today um, you have been touched in a way where you want to know a little bit more about who Jesus is, I encourage you to tell somebody about that. And our prayer team would absolutely love to be a part of ushering you in and, and welcome you into the family of God. And so I'm going to pray for us. And then over the course of the next two songs, feel free after a time of reflection to come up and partake in communion in your own time. Father God, we thank you for your presence in our lives. And we thank you for the ways that you've continued to provide and show us that you, you are the center. You are the reason. You have a calling on each one of our lives. You, you so desire our healing and our transformation. And you so desire to us to know you and to know that you already know us and you love us unconditionally. Lord, would you just open our hearts to what it is you have for us? Help us to center on what it is today that you want to give us, that you want to remind us of, and that we would leave this place feeling your peace and your presence in a tangible way. In your holy and precious name, amen.